One more passage for our sermon tonight. 1 Samuel 21. I'm going to read 1 through 15 as the whole chapter. 1 Samuel 21. 1 Samuel 21. Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said, Why are you alone and no one with you? David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has commissioned me with a matter. And he has said to me, Let no one know anything about the matter on which I am sending you and with which I am commissioned. I have commissioned you. And I have directed the young men to a certain place. Now, therefore, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. The priest answered David and said, There is no ordinary bread on hand, but there is consecrated bread. If only the young men have kept themselves from women. David answered the priest and said to him, Surely women have been kept from us as previously when I set out, and the vessels of the young men were holy, though it was an ordinary journey. How much more than today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him consecrated bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which was removed before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place when it was taken away. Now one of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's shepherds. David said to Ahimelech, Now there is not a spear or a sword on hand, for I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's matter was urgent. Then the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, behold, it is wrapped with a cloth behind the ephod. If you would take it for yourself, take it. For there is no other except it here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. Then David arose and fled from that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish the king of Gath. So he disguised his sanity before them and acted insanely in their hands and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down into his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought his, this one to act the madman in my presence? Shall this one come into my house? The word of the Lord. Well, when I was a community, I was, I was, when I was uh, hired at Trinity Mother Francis Regional Wellness Center, I was hired to be, my title was community educator. And so... Uh, for the first six months, I was drowning in getting certified in sort, all sorts of things. And one of the things I was certified to do was to teach stress management. And one of my favorite illustrations in teaching stress management had to do with shoelaces. Now, everybody who uh, understands stress is if you don't have any stress, you're dead. Y'all know that. No stress, you're dead. You have to have stress. And so one of the great illustrations I had that really was easy to explain is tight, the tightness of your shoelaces. If your shoelaces are too tight, you cannot perform very well. 
If you tie your shoe, shoelaces up so tight and you try to run the 100-yard dash, dash, your feet are or meter dash nowadays. If you, man, I'm old. Um, you run the 100-meter dash with your shoelaces too tight, it's, you're going to be bothered by your shoelaces. You won't even concentrate on the race. If your shoelaces are too loose, your shoes are going to be too loose, and then your shoes are going to be all over the place, and you will also have your uh, performance hindered. So the question's always, what's the proper tightness for your shoelaces? <laughs> not too tight, not too loose. That's the proper answer. Then I can have what we would call maximum performance. Well, the same thing's true physiologically. If you have too much stress, now we've all done this. Uh, the boss asks us to work for a week, and we work two extra hours. And every stress management book that you read will tell you, at first, you will respond really well. You will, you know, you will bear, you'll get going, you'll, get, you'll do it, and you'll respond at first really, really rising to the occasion. But if you go too long in that condition, your physiology, your health will decrease. And we could talk about, I used to give, people would tell me sometimes, don't tell us all that chemistry stuff that's going on in the body because we just want to hear how to get rid of stress. And I said, I think you need to hear all the chemistry that's going on so that you'll understand you need to deal with it. Physiologically, things begin to diminish. And physically, your performance will also be affected. What is the happy medium between the workaholic and the couch potato? Um, and so I studied all of this. How do you do too much or not do too little? Which, how do you do it? Every textbook you read on stress management will tell you that too much stress is negative. And if you go and you take, like I had to, all the exams to learn about stress management, it will stress you completely out. One of the things I did is I took all these tests, these tests, and I thought to myself, okay, man, I should already be dead. <laughs> because I had gone through so much in one year, and all the points added up in six months of my life to be way over the, the amount, the allowable to be alive. But here I am. According to health specialists, too much stress is never good. But what about when you're spiritually stressed? Is it ever bad? Is it bad for you to have your shoelaces, spiritually speaking, too tight? Is it ever good to have your shoelaces, spiritually speaking, too lot too tight? I mean, we are always, even in our spiritual lives, we're trying to work at balance. We're trying to make sure we get things done. And here we find David. David is completely stressed out. He's running hard. He's wondering what to do next. His shoelaces are too tight. And I'm going to tell you this. I think God reached down out of heaven and yanked on the shoelaces and tightened them up for him. He orchestrated this desperation to teach him something and to teach us something. According to the health specialist, it's never good. Is it ever good for us to be spiritually desperate? And that's what I want to talk about tonight. Desperation and its benefits. First of all, desperation and provision. In trying to find relief from Saul, remember Saul? Saul's trying to kill David, and David has fled to all. He's going to every place. <laughs> he's gone to Samuel in Naoth, where all, the pro where all the prophets are. And he's gotten a little bit of help, but he can't stop all that rage that's in Saul. He's gone to his covenant friend Jonathan, and now we find him in front of Ahimelech. And Ahimelech really is not real happy about the fact that he's there. If he was to take all the stress examinations that I took, he would be over the limit. He should be sick. 
and he shouldn't be standing in front of Ahimelech. But there he is. As he stands before Ahimelech, Ahimelech the priest is trembling. He understands that great men like like uh, David are not to be alone. He's wondering why David's alone. Uh, years ago, I read this about Hillary Clinton. <laughs> it said that she hadn't, she has not driven a car since 1996. Why? Well, women of that caliber don't go anywhere alone. Presidents don't go anywhere alone. They have an entourage. David is a great man. He's alone. This is bothering the priest. Where are the other fellas? And he tells him a story. He tells him a lie. He tells him this story to protect Ahimelech from Saul later on. He tells him, I'm on a mission from the king. It's an urgent matter. It's top secret. I will be meeting up with my men over at this undisclosed location, but I need to meet with you. And as I said to you last week, I believe that David is in a rare moment of self-defense here. He has to use deceit in order to protect human life. Now, we talked about how we need to be careful about that. And so he's told Ahimelech this story to set him at ease so that he can also be protected from Saul later on, hopefully. But there's just one problem. Verse 7 tells us this. Did you remember when we read this? Now, one of the servants of Saul was there. Saul has eyes in every place. And one of those pair of eyes happens to be a man named Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's shepherds. So I think David would probably have really liked to stay with Ahimelech for a little while and unburden his heart for a little while. But he can't really do anything except stay there in an official capacity. He can't really let it all out. So what he does, he does three official things. We're going to look at that in a second. But his story is, is full of holes. <laughs> Think about it. Does anybody go on a mission from the, from the king without food? <laughs> Does anybody go on a mission from the king without a weapon? <laughs> I mean, so there's holes in this story. But I think the holes in the story help us to understand the desperation of David. Well, let's think about the three things that he asked for. The first thing that he requested from Ahimelech is a word from the Lord. Now, our text doesn't tell us anything about that. But if you go and look in 1 Samuel 21, verse 10, later on, Doeg is talking to Saul. And he tells him the three things that David requested from Ahimelech. He says he inquired from the Lord, he asked for bread, and he asked for a weapon. So the first thing David does is he asks for a word from the Lord. And so I'm going to say to all those people who would say David right now is in a very backslidden condition, I'm going to say he inquired of the Lord. I think we need to remember that. First thing he did is he inquired of the Lord. The second thing David requested, he requested some bread. And so he's just left Nob. I mean, he's come to Nob, but he's come from Jonathan. And it's about a four to six mile walk from there. And David and all the men with him, who's going to meet at the undisclosed location, they're hungry. And so in verse three, he says, now, what do you have on hand? Give me loaves of bread or give me what can be found. And Ahimelech, he didn't have any ordinary bread on hand. He just had consecrated bread. Now, what is this consecrated bread? Well, every Sabbath day, every seventh day, 12 loaves of bread were baked and placed on golden trays and placed on the holy table in the holy place. Those two loaves, two, two rows, six, six loaves each, and they represent each one a tribe 
of Israel. Now, it's very important to remember this. This is the bread of the face. This is the bread of the presence. This is bread that is before the face of God, and it symbolizes that God is looking down on His people. It symbolizes that God is providing for His people. So remember that in a moment. Ahimelech is very willing to give this bread to David because he recognized that the bread symbolizing God's love for His people and presence with His people and His provision for His people, he was ready to give the bread away seeing that it would fulfill the reason it was even there in the first place. It symbolized what God was doing for His people and it became a reality and helped somebody, one of His people out named David. Gordon Ketty put it like this. He said, The true meaning of the ceremonial law of the showbread was expressed in it being given to David as an act of compassion and mercy, providing for real need. The law was fulfilled. The symbolic bread became really a bread that met his need. He saw that. Jesus even says that in Mark 2, 25 through 28. Third, David requested from the priest a weapon. And Ahimelech told him, we have only one weapon. It happens to be the weapon of, of uh, Goliath of Gath. And he says, you can take it. Now, these are all simple things. Uh, if you read that, as you were listening when I read that, uh, I think the first thing that I want to do is run off and look at what happens when David goes off to see Achish. And he starts letting the vom- I mean the, the saliva go down his face. And he starts scribbling on the doors. Uh, that would be easy to run to that. But we forget to think about what just happened. Three things just happened. He asked for a word from God. He asked for some bread. And he asked for a weapon. And he got all three of them. Just stop and think about that. He got every one of those requests. He got all of that where God's face is. He got these things that he needed. And these are just little things. Little things encourage us. Um, In the heat around here, I I said this to you when we, we buried Steve, it was lava outside. And all of a sudden there was that breeze that came through. When we, when we were burying Steve. It was, it's hot around here. Those little things encourage us. Little hands encourage us. When I buried a seven-year-old boy, I'll tell you what encouraged me the most. I came home, and the next thing I know is I have two girls painting my toenails with, you know, I mean, all kinds of colors. And you know what? It took my mind And reminded me that God, these are just little things, but little things God uses to encourage us. No one can say, yes, we can all say David's been deceptive and we can say David's told a story and all of that. And we can say David doesn't deserve anything. We also need to reflect on the fact that we don't deserve anything either. And yet God is so compassionate that he gives David three things. Little things to remind him that he's loving. And He gives us little things as well to remind us that He's loving. And we need to remember in desperation point, you know, 10.0 that God will give us His Word every time He gives us His Word. Every time He gives you a provision of bread. Every time you, you think about the Word of God and it helps you go through some 
situation that God is caring for you. Dell Davis writes, Doesn't God's small provisions in my problems tell me something? Doesn't it assure me that God has not cast me off? We need to remember little things. And that's number one. Number two, desperation and dependence. With provisions in hand, David begins to run. You know, like I said, maybe he would like to have stayed with him like a little longer, but there's Doeg, and Doeg is going to report. Doeg, Doeg is bad. Things are going to go bad with Doeg. And so he flees, and he goes straight to the enemy. He goes straight to the Philistines' king, Achish. Why would he do this? Do you remember? I, I said that. I, I mis, misread it a while ago. Don't y'all? I, I enjoyed it the other day. I've been listening to everybody read, and all of a sudden somebody else. We're supposed to say Lord Jesus, and then somebody adds Christ because you're so used to saying Lord Jesus Christ. And when we're quoting stuff, this morning I was doing the Nicene Creed, and I started reading from memory in my mind. I'm doing the Apostles' Creed. And so, who's from Gath? Huh? Who's the Philistine from Gath? Remember his name? Goliath from Gath. Why would David go there? Why would he be going to the enemy? Well, again, I think it underscores the fact that he's desperate. Maybe David believes that if he goes to the Philistines, that they'll accept him and take him in and and make him a prize because, hey, he's on our side now, running from Saul. Saul's not against us. Saul's against us, but David's not. Maybe David believed that the Philistines had forgotten all his exploits. Exploits. But it was not to be. David, I think you could read the text to think that David fled to the king. Maybe David's already talking to Achish. But all Achish's servants are thinking historically. They're not thinking about personal gain, having David on their side, like maybe David's talking to the king. And so verse 11, he says this. They say this. Is this not David the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands? Is this not David, the man who killed Goliath? Is this not David who put many of our best soldiers to flight? It probably didn't help that David walked in with Goliath's power sword strapped to his side. And when he heard all those words, he became afraid. And he started acting like a madman. He was in their hands and he started acting like he was insane, like he was rabid. And he let the vomit, not the vomit, but the saliva run down his beard. And he began to scribble on the doors of the city gate. And there's a little uh, Jewish tradition that says Achish's wife and Achish's daughter were both insane. And when he saw David playing the madman, he says, I don't need any more of that in my house. Get him out of here. And they drove him out. Now, can anything good come out of a situation like this? I mean, I ask you again, your spiritual shoelaces are just too tight. Maybe God's been the one who's reached down and jerked them a little bit, made them a little bit more tight. We all know, like I said, if you go through too much health stress, your health diminishes and your physical performance will diminish. Is there anything spiritually good in this? He's fled to the prophet. The prophet helped him a little. He fled to his friend Jonathan. And Jonathan helped him and risked his life. And then, of course, Saul threw a spear at him. He fled to Ahimelech. And Ahimelech was a little bit less than happy to see him. 
Finally, David flees to his enemies, and they were no help at all. Where do you go? Where does he go next? (laughs) Where does he go next? He's been everywhere else. Where does he go? There are times when our plans don't work out. There are times when our friends can't help us. There are times when you have to go through things alone. I think the first sermon funeral I did in California, there was a woman whose husband died, and I told her in the funeral sermon she was going to go to bed tonight for the first time alone. She needed to rely on God. And that's where David is going to be taught to go. We can go to the session. They can't go through it for us. We can go to the pastor. We can go to our dearest friends. We can go to people who may not really want us to be there at times. God's the one who orchestrated all of this to teach David one thing. To trust in Him alone. All His schemes. There's nothing wrong with the plans. There's nothing wrong with the friends. But God wants to teach David when the shoelaces are too tight to trust in Him alone. God is shaping this man and God is sculpting this man and making him to be the king he wants him to be. The same thing's going on in our life. These types of situations are grievous and David, he's been anointed to be the next king. We could look at this and we could say to ourselves, he will never be the next king. It's too dark. It's too bleak. Can you imagine this guy being king with all the whole of Israel coming after him? But at this point, David trusts in the Lord. This is, this is what Michael asked me. He says, where are you going with this sermon? Just a few minutes ago, where are you going with this sermon? I said, well, I'm going outside of our text. I'm going to go to Psalm 34. I'm not going to have you turn there because we, we need to move. But I want to read to you Psalm 34. This, listen to this. This is the introduction to Psalm 34. After David's driven out from Achish. Psalm 34, a psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. Abimelech is just a title for Achish. Psalm 34 tells us what's going on in David's heart after he was driven out by the enemy. Listen to verse 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from my fears. And they took looked to Him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. David looks to the Lord in his desperation, and God delivers him. He leaves out of Achish's presence, and he cries out to God, and he, verse 8 says, He tasted and he saw that the Lord is good. So, you know, God may orchestrate this maybe in your life right now. God may orchestrate something like this in your life a year from now. Health situation, work situation, family situation. No one humanly speaking can help. No one humanly speaking can go through this for you. But the amazing benefit of this horrible, desperate feeling that you're going through is that God teaches you to flee to Him. Arrest on Him. Many of you may never even have become Christians if you hadn't been driven to such desperation. 
And so when you're driven to this desperation, you went to God who's the King of heaven. And the King of heaven said this. He said, I have a son. Go to him. I have a son. His name is Jesus. He's the Savior of sinners. Do you know the King's son? Do you know that the King's son forgives sin? Do you know that the King's son has the power to change your heart and your life? It's a rare man and a rare woman in our day who sees the desperate need for the king's son. In my days doing personal training, (laughs) you know, I used to just be so sad that I'd I'd had to do personal training for so many years. I sure do have a lot of illustrations from doing personal training. I had people for years tell me, I know that you're training to get back in the ministry and um, I don't need your crutch. I told my wife, every, every other week, I told my wife, I don't, need to, I don't need Jesus Christ as a crutch. And I would talk to them and seek to tell them about the king of heaven and his wrath. And they'd say, okay, that's enough. It's a, it's a very unusual thing for men and women to flee from the wrath of God. David, in chapter 20, verse 1, remember when David went to Jonathan and said, what have I done? Why is your father after me? It was wise for David to ask that question. It was very wise because if he just walked on into the king's presence, the king would have drilled him through with a spear. So it was very wise. And if we would be wise, we would say, O king of heaven, why are you angry with me? What have I done? That's what a wise man would say. And when we realize the king of heaven is angry angry with us for our sins, the desperation should begin. And so we should look to the king's son for refuge. David went to the king's son named Jonathan for refuge and he helped him as best he could. And then Saul took a spear and threw it at him. He risked his life. But when you and I go to the king of heaven's son, he doesn't just risk his life for us. He gives his life for us. And he takes the spear meant for us. He was hit by that spear for us. And He relieves us of God's wrath against us. And He makes a way for peace with us through Him. But again, it's a rare thing for a man and a woman to be desperate for the King of Heaven's Son. Oh, that God would make you desperate, this rare person in need of the King's Son. Listen, it may desperation is not what we like. Not one of us wants it. But the benefit of the desperation is the king's son saving us from our sin and delivering us. And this is what David says in Psalm 34. I'm really shortening this down because we we need to get to the Lord's Supper. But listen, David says, my God who delivered me is the same God that will, will deliver you. This is what he says, and I shorten it down. Come, he says, let me teach you the fear of the Lord. That God's eyes are on the righteous and His ears are attentive to your cries to deliver you out of all your troubles. Yes, you may have many troubles, many desperations, but the Lord will deliver you from them all. Are you encouraged yet? (laughs) My deliverer is your deliverer. I can't, I, you know, I tried to figure out what to cast out, to throw out of my sermon. I couldn't throw this out. I'm gonna, you need to hear this. You need to hear, the Sunday night crowd needs to hear this. In Pilgrim's Progress, Christian and Hopeful, they veer off the king's highway. 
And they find themselves arrested and taken to Doubting Castle by giant despair. Giant despair beats them mercilessly. He brings them into great despair and fills them with all kinds of doubts. And he tells them it would be better for them to be dead rather than alive. And he convinces them that they should commit suicide. Christian's ready to commit suicide, but hopeful comes along and persuades him not to do that. And so, just when you thought it couldn't get worse, worse, giant despair comes to them and says, in ten days I'm going to pull you apart. I'm going to pull you limb from limb. And so on a Saturday night, before all of that was to happen... They begin to pray about midnight, Acts 16. (laughs) They begin to pray about midnight and they prayed all the way till break of day. And then Christian says to Hopeful, I have been such a fool. (laughs) For in my bosom there is a key. And the name of that key is promise. And this promise will unlock every door in this horrible dungeon and this castle, and it will set us at liberty again. And they were back on the king's highway, lickety-split. We don't like the desperation. But did they learn something? Christian learned about the promise, and he held on to the promise. David didn't like the desperation, but was there a benefit? Yes, there was a benefit. He trusted in the Lord alone. Well, we have tonight the Lord's Supper, Supper in front of us, and I have the opportunity to invite you to it. And our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night He was betrayed, He took the bread and He took the wine. They're not big things; they're little things. With the wine in His, with the bread in His hand, with the wine in His hand, He said, "This is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which is given for you." He was communicating to them in these little things what he's going to do the next day, a really big thing. They didn't understand it. These are just little things. These are just little things like a word from the Lord, like five loaves of bread and like a weapon given to a man in great desperation. But all these little things point to how God takes care of us in our suffering. Jesus institutes the supper when he's suffering. Great suffering. And in the midst of the great suffering, he's thinking about those disciples. And he's thinking about these disciples right in front of me right now. He arranged all these little things in front of them and in front of us to remind us of two things. Infinite love. And he reminds us that he feeds us spiritually. If if the little things, these would not be little things if we were eating physically. He would give us bigger bigger portions. But this is a spiritual meal. And these little things remind us of something great. Jesus wants us to take bread with our hands and put it in our mouth and wine with our, with our hands and put it in our mouth. And he wants to remember this is something spiritually that's taking place. He's feeding us His body and His blood, and we receive it spiritually by faith to strengthen us for tonight and for this next week ahead. And we all need it. So tonight, let's take these little things and let's be reminded of the love of God and of Jesus' body and blood. Let's eat and drink these things physically, but remember that this is something spiritual that's taking place in our souls. 
Everyone tonight, if you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you. Have you made a profession of faith before this congregation or another one like it? Have you been baptized and have you placed yourself under the submission of a session of elders who are keeping watch over your soul? Then the table is for you. Tonight, the Apostle Paul would also ask us to examine ourselves. Are you seeing God provide for you in small ways? And are you resting completely on Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Then you need to take from this table tonight and not abstain from it for any unusual reason. This table is for those who need Jesus Christ. And so if you're ready to eat and drink, let us sit down and do so to the glory of God and for the good of our soul. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for teaching us that there are times when our shoelaces, spiritually speaking, are too tight. But that's not so bad because you teach us about how you favor us with small things and how you teach us to depend upon you in things, in many things, Lord, to depend completely on you, especially for our salvation. And tonight we praise you and thank you for what's in front of us. Feed us spiritually as we eat with faith in our hearts. Strengthen us to live for your glory and for, for, the, for the good of those in our families in this church. And make us strong. Make us lovers of God and lovers of the congregation and lovers of those around us. We'll praise you for it. We set these elements up. Please set them apart from your common, their common and sacred use. And Lord, glorify yourself as we eat. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.